Good afternoon, and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm WFIU News Director Will Murphy. I'm filling in this afternoon for Herald Times Editor Bob Salzberg. And alongside, as always, is Mary Catherine Carmichael. Hi, Mary. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, Mary, that's weird. Yeah, that was weird. That, that did give me pause. Sorry about that. That's all right, Bob. We, <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, three guests in the studio this afternoon. Uh, Erica DeSantis is current president of the GLBT Alumni Association. And uh, some folks may know her from her work with the Chamber of <clears throat> Commerce and also with the uh, uh, local animal shelter. Welcome to you. Thank you. Also with us in the studio is Doug Bowder. He's the coordinator of the GLBT Student Support Service Office. And uh, it says here you've been here in that position since 94, since the uh, center opened. That's correct. So you have a lot of vantage to bring to the long uh, history. <laughs> long perspective. <laughs> Welcome to you as well. Thanks, Will. And our third guest this afternoon <clears throat> is Matt Bruner, a recent graduate from uh, Indiana University. Congratulations. Just this year, right? Yes, just May. Congratulations in political science. And uh, Matt is uh, currently on staff with the Human Rights Campaign as a summer intern. Now, is that you're a local representative of a national sort of organization? Yes, that's correct. The, the Human Rights Campaign is the, na- is the largest national gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender a- advocacy group. Okay. All righty. And we'll probably get to that, I'm sure, before the end of the hour. If you'd like to join us in this conversation this afternoon, please feel free to do so. The phone numbers are 855-0811. That's the number here in Bloomington. Outside the Bloomington area, 877-285-9348. And the email address is noon at indiana.edu. Well, let's just start off talking a little bit about... uh, the history of GLBT issues on this campus and in this community. And Doug, makes sense to start with you since you came in in 94. I just, I also came to Bloomington and IU in 94. And so I just always assumed the GLBT office was here. But maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, how the, what the genesis of that office was and how things have changed over the years. Sure. It's worth mentioning that um, issues of sexual orientation, gender identity have been a part of the Bloomington community and certainly the IU campus dating back to the early years of the Kinsey Institute. So if you think about it from that perspective, we have a 50-year history of at least tolerance, if not acceptance, of this issue as, as sort of part of the dynamic of, and culture of, of this community and this campus. Um, but it wasn't really until the 90s uh, when campuses were beginning to look at the need to provide specific support for students who were becoming more and more open about who they were. In fact, today we have students who come to IU because there's uh, an acceptance of GLBT issues here. We have an office. We have uh, things in place. Um, But in 94, um, in response to some issues of harassment that had happened in previous years, a commission was formed by uh, Chancellor Ken Gross Lewis uh, to think about what this campus needed to support gay students with a recognition that many other minority students had services in place, is all, in place already. And there was nothing for gay students except for a student organization. So a commission was reported. Um, Alan Bell, uh, the late Alan Bell, uh, was part of that commission. And their work led to the establishment of, uh, of the office. That was their, their first uh, priority was making sure that there was a support service of some kind for students in a place where more of us could be educated about uh, issues of sexual orientation, gender identity, and that opened in 94. Now, at the time of that, uh, the, the office was opened, you were an undergrad, right, Erica? No, I was in law school. Well, you were in law school. That's right. Okay. I'm sorry, a 96 graduate in law school, right? Correct. What were the issues back then? I mean, coming into IU, what sort of problems, challenges, difficulties did you face? Honestly, when I came uh, in 93 to law school, I considered myself straight. Uh, and uh, didn't really get involved with JLBT issues until uh, beginning of 94 uh, when I had a very close friend um, come out to me and uh, relate a story of uh, someone who had actually a friend of ours who had tried to take his life over issues of coming out. And so that started a process with me. Um, I came back to campus in uh, the fall of 94. Uh, heard about the GLBT office opening and decided to go and volunteer uh, there as a straight supporter. Um, so I, at that time, there were a lot of issues um, I saw of just raising awareness and, and creating dialogue. Uh, there wasn't a lot of dialogue on campus. And when there was dialogue, it was not necessarily positive. Um, and so at that time, it was 
at first helping the office open and making sure that they had the supports that they needed. But then after that, creating a campus climate that allowed us to dialogue about this and make people feel more comfortable about who they are and, and uh, what they're doing. Okay. Um, Matt, you're the opposite end of the spectrum, so to speak. Uh, uh, Erica can talk about the 90s. Uh, you can talk about 2007. What was your experience as, uh, as a student at IU in terms of the issues and challenges you face? Well, I had not yet come out when I first started IU. I uh, started IU in 2001, and I was not yet out, and I was struggling with the issue for a very long time through high school and through my first year at IU. And uh, then I heard about the Gay Lesbian Support Center on campus, and I, you know, so I saw Doug actually um, speak in a class of mine, and I was like, he should be a guy I should talk to, uh, you know, about these issues. And I uh, scheduled a meeting, went to the support center, and uh, it helped me tremendously, you know, with my uh, issues coming out. And you know, uh, after the support that I received there, I felt that it was the proper time to come out or at least start that process, and I did. Um, so um, I have been treated very well here on campus. It's been a wonderful experience. Uh, I started a gay rights group. I got very involved through the support center, and uh, the campus to me, you know, in the 2000s have just been absolutely great. I mean, you cannot hope for a more accepting, more welcoming uh, campus, uh, I mean, especially a campus that allows you to get involved what you wanted to get involved with without the fear of discrimination. Really, I mean, you, you paint a fairly rosy picture. You think that that, uh, that there aren't that many challenges to, to your gay, lesbian, uh, transgendered uh, students that come to this campus. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are still challenges outside of the campus, and there's still challenges throughout the country. I mean, that is very, very true. But as far as my picture is concerned... Uh, my coming out experience at IU has been a good one and has been met with very few challenges as far as the campus experience is concerned. Can I follow up there, Will? Um, I, I, a local pastor asked me um, last summer if I knew a particular student, gave me the name of that student. I said, that's not a name I'm familiar with. Apparently, this student had taken his life. Um, last summer, and this pastor knew that among the issues he was struggling with was the fact that he was gay, and he wondered if he had ever come to the office. And I said, I don't know the name. I think I would remember that name. I'm really sorry about that. It speaks to the fact that there are still folks out there who struggle personally with this issue Mm -hmm. and either didn't know he could come to the office or didn't feel he should or, or would want to. That's an extreme case. We also have cases that are reported to us every year. I think we have about 60 incidents each year that are simply reported to a anti-harassment team. And some of those are fairly minor in the sense that it's just those annoying notes that are left on the dry erase boards in the residence halls or whatever. But I know some students have actually left this campus because they've gotten um, harassing phone calls during the night, um, have bothered them. Um, there, are, there are still those issues that, that happen out there. I don't think they're as numerous. They're not as extreme. But if they happen to you, they're serious. And again, I'm, I'm always hopeful that those students know that their resident assistant can be a support, that our office is there. So, Could you talk more specifically about the services that are available? Sure, sure. A um, uh, number of services. One is we have an extensive website and um, listserv for students to sign up for and get involved in and find out about the events that happen on the campus. We sponsor a number of programs, I think over 30 programs last year, often in conjunction with other schools or departments. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want our assistance with that, but some that we uh, initiate on our own. Um, We have uh, a a growing library that we're really very proud of, including a lot of documentaries um, and uh, DVDs on on gay topics. Uh, We have... uh, support groups um, and social groups that are connected with the office that we can refer people to. And we have a counseling intern who um, actually for the last seven years, I think we've had a student who is supervised by uh, a professional in the community and who does work out of our office to provide support free of charge as a counseling intern through the School of Ed uh, for (coughs) folks who are struggling at a more uh, difficult level with some of these issues. And I I should note at this point in time, the interesting thing that I've come to appreciate is more and more students 
one of the changes I would note, more and more students who work in the office and, and want to uh, be associated with us are not students who identify as gay. Some of our counseling interns have been uh, straight, heterosexual, identified, and want to be supportive of the gay community and find this a wonderful place to learn about the issues and be supportive. So we're really pleased about that. Yeah. Can you unpack for me a little bit um, GLBT in your office? In one sense, it's all lumped together. But in a, another sense, I would think there's a whole differentiation of issues that those different groups face mm-hmm. in this community. It's not just one, oh, that's the GLBT issue. That's what right. all different folks, GLB mm-hmm. or T, face. But I've, I've got to imagine there's a host of different things. You say it very well. And um, – uh, someone else who, who I know speaks about the fact that there really isn't a GLBT community if you think about it. I mean there are GLBT communities just like there are straight communities. There, there are such a variety of issues and gender identity and sexual orientation are connected at some level but they're not the same. The whole matter of more and more individuals who identify as transgender is, is certainly a new phenomenon in the last few years. It's not a new phenomenon as it exists mm-hmm. but as we become more and aware of even undergraduate students who are transitioning during their years here, not a large number, but people who um, have never felt comfortable um, in the bodies that they're in and who, who go through that transition. That's a very complicated issue, but it's very different from issues related to uh, gay issues and men's and women's issues, which are different. Um, so it's, um, it's like juggling a lot of different balls, really, but we, again, I think have the support of lots of different people who help us to do that. And, and this community is wonderful in the sense that we have uh, not only our straight allies but, but people in so many professions in different areas who, who I think that's maybe what we do best is connect with those folks out there who can help us with these issues. There are a variety of them. Well, talk specifically, if you can, about some of the issues that are unique to people in the GLBT. And again, I hate lumping them all together sure. because I understand there, there are different issues, but um, some specific issues that those that people have to deal with. Can anyone speak to Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I'm sure like that to, really everybody will have input on that, I'm sure. Get into that? Sure. Right. I'm happy to speak to that. Um, obviously, I think one of the most difficult is the decision to come out and whether friends and family are going to be accepting of, of that, that news when it's delivered. Um, that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with, everyone in the community on some level, whether they have the strength to do that early on or whether they repress feelings or or keep things hidden into, to a point that they feel safe. And I think that's uh, sort of relating back to what Matt said earlier about um, having a great campus. Uh, it's not that everyone on this campus is so enlightened that it makes it easy, but the administration is so supportive that there are always people there that, that are there to support you and, and help you out if you do encounter a problem. And that's certainly what I experienced in the School of Law when I was there. The administration, the professors, everyone there was very supportive. There were um, difficulties. Um, I did come out during my law school experience in that second year I came out as bisexual. I did lose a number of friends who could not reconcile my orientation with their religious beliefs. Um, and um, it's it, it shakes you when that happens and it causes you to um, uh, take a couple steps back, I think, uh, even if you're a very strong person and know who you are. And so to have supports around you, to have people, you know, around you saying that what you're doing is okay, who you are is okay, and that there, there, there are other ways of, of living um, is incredibly valuable. If those things were not there, it would be a very dark place, I think. I would think if you're if you find people you thought to be your friends re- are rejecting you, that would really make you question your own self worth. It could. Again, if those supports are not there, right. it very much could. And that's the wonderful thing about Indiana University and, and uh, the GLBT Student Support Center um, and the folks who work there is they at least are creating an environment to make sure that nobody has to go through that process alone. So it sounds like a lot of people choose their time here as a safe time to come out or the time that's appropriate for them. What do you attribute that to? What, Matt, what made it? the right time for you? Like I had said previously, I just, you know, the campus being so supportive and there being a network of support that in which you are comfortable in coming out. 
I mean, I know if there was not a support center or if there was not supportive faculty or staff or people that I knew I could talk to about this issue in confidence and that kind of thing, uh, I don't think I would be at the place where I am right now. I mean, I'm very well adjusted. I'm comfortable with myself. I mean, I work for the country's largest gay group. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, Put two I mean, two together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I mean, and I contribute that to the support center and just the overwhelming support that the campus has provided and will continue to provide. Now, was there a fear factor for you coming out? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I was very fearful. I was very depressed. Uh, my first year of college, I just did not know who to turn to. I was very scared. The religious factor weighed in tremendously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would cry myself to sleep. You know, I thought I was going to go to hell. Uh, you know, people that I've talked to were very just discriminatory when it came to that matter. And, you know, so, yeah, it was it was a great fear factor. I, you know, I was not wanting to come out to my parents at all. And that didn't end up all that well, but it's turning around right now. Yeah. But uh, so, I mean, yeah, there was just a lot of issues there. And I am so glad that the campus had a network of support that I could turn to to, uh, you know, like Erica said, to uh, go through these issues with someone at your side. So basically they gave you a toolbox then to deal with each of these issues independently as they came up during your coming out process. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, all along the way, I always had someone to turn to. We, we talk a lot about this being a time when uh, we talk a lot in higher education about student development mm-hmm. and what happens mm-hmm. during these years uh, from 18 to 24 or, you know, what, 22 mm-hmm. and, and what goes on. And a lot of identifying with um, making a, a point of understanding ourselves in terms of our place in the world, our gender um, orientation, maybe our religious affiliation. Does that still work for me? I'm questioning, you know, uh, maybe some of that right now. So a lot of that is happening during these years. So it's a natural time, I think, to happen. Having said that, more and more high school students, I think, are. I just just um, moments ago met with some parents and their gay son during orientation. They were so pleased to see that the office was here. This kid is so well adjusted. Um, he must have come out in high school at some point in time. His parents were by his side. They were talking about his major. You know, he's so excited about coming to IU and and. Um, He'll probably be a volunteer in the office. It's a different day in that regard that, you know, um, he has the support from his parents. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of people who don't have that. And so, again, creating your own family, your own circle of support here is a really important start then before you go back to your family. And I want to say to Matt's credit, he's maintained wonderful ties with his family to help them understand this issue and and move along with it over the years. So. both Erica and Matt have brought up this question of faith and how for some of your friends, for example, that was an issue with them, uh, that this transition in your life went against their religious beliefs. I would assume as, as both a personal negotiation and as part of the uh, center's mandate, there has to be a sort of connection with the faith community in Bloomington, that they have to be a part of how people address mm-hmm. coming to terms with sexuality and sexual sexuality issues. Anyone want to... I'll jump in there because um, we are fortunate in having um, a number of – I would use the term progressive or or liberal uh, faith leaders in this community, both from Christian and Jewish perspective and for that matter, uh, people from some other traditions um, who have been supportive of us from day one. We – so we have a Jewish student who comes to us and we can refer them to Rabbi Wasserman or mm-hmm. Rabbi Shifrin here on this campus and, or let them know that this is a safe place. We have pastors in most of the major Christian denominations here in this community and through some of the campus ministries where, they, where folks who are struggling to integrate their spirituality and their sexuality can do that in a safe way. Obviously, there are some folks who come from a religious background that they're not going to find that acceptance. And then mm-hmm. for them, it's a... You know, do I throw the baby out with the bathwater or do I find another way of expressing my faith? But we, that's probably beyond family issues that we've just been speaking about. I think coming to terms with faith issues is still a major uh, point uh, in that identity development. And we're so fortunate in having lots of people who we can say, you know who you need to talk to? Father Bob over at St. Paul's or Rabbi Mira or 
faster. Okay. That's huge. I want to remind Thanks. our listeners that we're uh, talking today with uh, Erica DeSantis, the current president for, what did you say, two more months? Uh, just two more weeks, Two actually. more weeks. I'm oh. sorry. Two more weeks. <laughs> president of the uh, GLBT Alumni Association. We have uh, Matt Bruner, who's a, a recent graduate uh, of IU in political science and currently on the staff of the Human Rights Campaign as a summer intern. And we have uh, Doug Bowder, who's the coordinator of the GLBT Student Support Services Office. And we're talking in general terms this noon edition about GLBT issues and how they manifest themselves uh, here on the IU campus and in South Central Indiana. If you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is 855-0811, toll free 877-285-9348. And if you'd like to drop us an email and send your uh, question or comment via uh, Electron, the address is noon at indiana.edu. And Mary Catherine, you have a uh, an email for us. I do, and I would just preface this by by stating, I hope correctly, that Indiana University does offer domestic partner benefits. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, leading into that, this begins. Um, IU Vice President uh, Terry Claypax has said that companies bidding for outsourced campus jobs are not required to have inclusive non-discrimination policies or to offer <laughs> domestic partner benefits. What are your thoughts about this erosion of protections and benefits for students as well as non-student IU employees who are gay or transgender. That's new information for me, and I'm glad to know it. And um, it's something we will um, attempt to address. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, I'm really proud of of the history that's been created and the support that uh, the university has given to us. That does seem like some backpedaling, and um, we'll do what we can to speak to that issue. Um, Some letters, some conversations. Um, I really am sorry to hear that. You know, we should uh, we should mention this email came from John Clower, and he is a, a faithful emailer to this show, and we thank him for bringing this uh, to our attention. Yeah, you know that's that's another good example of the kind of work that the Alumni Association, which is uh, close to a thousand members right now, you want to say a little word about the the advocacy that group might be able to do? Sure. Well, for those who don't know, um, Indiana University and our IU Alumni Association has an affiliate group called the IU GLBT Alumni Association, and we're actually celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. And um, we do have a history of advocating to the uh, IU administration uh, for GLBT issues. In fact, it was a number of members of our board uh, when we first formed that were very instrumental in helping the IU administration understand the issues around domestic partner benefits for Mm same-sex couples. And um, we were very lucky uh, and uh, happy to get those passed back in 2001. Um, There are current dialogues occurring now, though, um, because we are not as far along as we uh, hope to be. One of the issues that we still need to address on the horizon is getting uh, our transgender friends protected in IU's non-discrimination policy. Currently, their um, transgender students are not protected under IU's discrimination policy, and uh, that is something that we see is uh, something we need to address. Uh, hopefully, that our entire community would like to address. Why don't you, just so we're all on the same page, define transgender? That could be a little difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Transgender or gender identity, anyone who basically does not feel that they – that they – their person is uh, the same as the body that they're living in. Um, Transgender might mean that someone uh, anatomically born female um, feels like they are male. This person might be transitioning to become the target uh, gender, um, but they also might decide to always stay with the gender that they were uh, given at birth um, or the sex they were given at birth um, and to just deal with the consequences thereof. So it's basically anyone who does not feel... Uh, like the body that they're in is is who they are internally. And can it be it can be both physical or psychological. I mean, it can be r- related to chromosome um, abnormalities as such, or um, more of a psychological issue. And not everyone transitions fully um, in terms of having surgery necessarily, mm-hmm. but feel that they want to live out their lives in um, in the other gender's role, sure. as it were. So, okay, has has. GLBT been part of your office from its inception or does it sort of accrue as you go along and new issues are developed? <laughs> there are those who want to add other letters to yet. Um, but Can we t- talk about those? Yeah, sure. The, okay. t- the T was added um, at least five years ago or maybe the four, four years into the uh, – I'm guessing it was 98 or 99 I believe when again this segment of the community – um, realized there was really no place that they felt supported, and it, it seemed like a natural. Um, certainly, on other campuses, the, these uh, issues of gender identity are addressed um, 
at least through supportive services in, in ways that our office is trying to do. So, so that happened four or five years into the opening of the office. Today we're looking at – I mean we're just learning more and more about sexuality, mm-hmm. intersex issues, um, people who are born with the – I guess we used to use the term hermaphrodite. Mm-hmm. People who are born with the genitalia of, of not maybe fully developed of, of, of both female and male. Um, um, there are those who like to use the word queer to define themselves and wish Q would be a, a letter. We actually have a, a conference that we're going to be hosting here in a few years that they're now calling Alphabet Soup Conference. <laughs> um, um, and uh, it gets to be a joke after a while, but it also, I think, speaks to the fact that you know our, our identities are continually evolving. We're learning new things about ourselves, about different issues, and I don't think it's ever going to end. People say, you know, is it ever going to stop? Well, um, you know, there's always new things to learn about. How do you, how do you determine? I mean, to some degree, uh, the university administration says we've got to do this, but to what degree do you say our office? That's not what we do. Oh, how do you make that determination? Uh, <laughs> we only have so many hours in the day. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. When when there was a little bit of controversy when folks wanted to add the T, but most people again saw the connection. So I have an advisory board that I seek. You know, advice on, or you know, we'll turn to folks at the Kinsey Institute or, or look at what other campuses are doing, and this just seemed like the right thing to do. But at, at this point in time, I'm not inclined to add too many more letters. I think people understand that we're willing to address to the extent that we can intersex issues. Or, um, I mean, we're a two-staff person office. It's you know, we can't, we can't do it all, and, and I'm pretty good about saying here's what we can do and here's what we can't. Doug, am I correct in assuming that we are the flagship campus uh, on this issue uh, of the IU of, of campuses? The IU system. That's right, and we we do some collaboration with some of the other campuses, but no other campus has a, a professionally staffed office like ours. It is worth noting that in '94, when the office opened, there were uh, about a dozen offices on college campuses, and they're now close to 200 around the country. Small colleges as well as. Big Ten universities. Now, you say professionally staffed, which brings to mind the question for me, is there a program at IU for uh, GLBT studies? Not a formal one. There are some courses that are being offered, and gender studies is looking at doing something like that down the road. That would be sort of one of our goals or something we would certainly not necessarily strongly advocate for but would feel very good about. And it seems like a natural, again, on a campus with the Kinsey Institute and such. There are campuses that have programs like that. There are? Yes. Okay. All right. right. That's what I wondered. Thank you. All right. We're a little past the halfway point for this program, so we probably ought to take a little break. We still have quite a bit of material to cover, but let's take a break. We'll get back to the phones and emails in just a moment. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info After July 15th, WFIU listeners who hear the station online may find their service interrupted. Based on a recent court ruling that subjects radio stations that stream their signals to increased royalty payments, public radio stations may not be able to offer online streaming. In response to this ruling, a group of senators and representatives recently introduced the Internet Radio Equality Act, You can register your opinions with your representative. A list of congressional representatives is available on the WFIU website at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Will Murphy, News Director of WFIU, filling in this week for the vacationing Bob Zaltzberg of the Herald Times. He's needed a vacation. He's been uh, working pretty hard. Had his nose to the grindstone. That's right. In the studio, as always, Mary Catherine Carmichael. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. And we have three guests in the studio this afternoon. Erica DeSantis, DeSantis, the uh, current president of the GLBT Alumni Association and a 96 
grad of the IU Law School. Matt Bruner, who just 60 days ago <laughs> graduated, got his sheepskin uh, in political science from IU, and he's currently on staff of the Human Rights Campaign as a summer intern and involved on the IU campus uh, in a number of ways in GLBT issues. And Doug Bowder, who's been the coordinator of the GLBT Student Support Services Office since it opened 13 years ago. And we're talking about GLBT issues in general and how they manifest themselves here on the IU campus and in South Central Indiana. If you'd like to join us for this conversation, please do. The number in Bloomington is 855-0811. Toll-free outside the Bloomington area is 877-285-9348. And the email address, if you have uh, something you'd like to send via email, the address is noon at indiana.edu. I've always been... Of the opinion that one's sexuality is kind of hardwired, it's part of your brain chemistry. Is that does, is, does that go along with current belief, or or anybody want to weigh in on this? It's certainly my experience personally, and um, having talked to scores, maybe hundreds of people over the years, that th- that's what I would believe. Um, there was a recent. Uh, event in California sponsored by Soul Force, which is one of the uh, gay-friendly spirituality movements kind of that's out there that was trying to debunk the so-called ex-gay ministry where you can be converted um, back to heterosexuality. And um, there's some pretty strong evidence among those who've been involved in the ex-gay ministry that this has been bogus and they came out. uh, Several of the former leaders of of so-called ex-gay ministries said we've been living a lie and um, it's time we stop this. Uh, all the major psychological and um, psychiatric associations uh, would suggest this is fairly hardwired, as you say. Yeah, that's why I always think it's uh, interesting that the the word choice is, is mm. used in conjunction with this when, it, I don't know, I guess, again, just my own observation, it seems hardwired and, and choice has very little to do with it really. But Okay, here's an email that came in. It says, I was wondering how the GLBT office receives its funding. It is obvious, ex- obviously extremely valuable to the campus and the community and hope it is receiving adequate funding. I, I would say the, the uh, financial support is, is adequate in, in the sense that um, you know, we're well-staffed. We uh, get a lot of support from the Alumni Association, actually, and that's one of the real benefits to the office for, of that organization. But we are still fi- funded privately. Uh, those who may have been around 13 years ago will remember a huge furor over the office's opening and the state legislature threatening the university to the tune of $500,000 to keep the office from opening, that they would keep that from the state budget. Some of those forces are still in the state legislature, and we are still funded privately. Uh, From a principled standpoint, that's frustrating. From a practical standpoint, it actually works to our advantage, and we don't have to dicker with the uh, um, legislatures who we think are a little narrow in their thinking. Mm -hmm. And you're not part of the regular IU budget process either, is that correct? That's correct. correct. So we're funded by the IU Foundation uh, largely um, and then assisted um, by the growing uh, membership and uh, supporters through the Alumni Association. That's got to be a curious sort of very... I won't say difficult, but delicate balancing act to be funded privately but be under the IU umbrella. You're sort of having to answer to two sources there. Um, Actually, I probably have to answer less. I would, Yeah, I would say less. And again, as I said, from a principled standpoint, it's a little frustrating because we serve the whole campus. And um, for that matter, if we didn't, uh, gay students pay taxes as well, you right. know. Um, so – but – um, and we don't know who the source of the funding, whether it's a single individual or we just know there are discretionary funds that um, at the time it was President Brand who turned to the foundation and said, we want this office to get up and running. Um, we want to support this. And so the funds were found to do that. We should probably pause and point out, I think we were talking before the program, that uh, uh, the existence of your office can be something of a recruiting tool that uh, – didn't you say that the only reason that uh, this campus didn't get a 100 percent rating in terms of being a, a top, top flight uh, institution for gay and lesbian and uh, bisexual transgendered students is because they don't uh, have uh, the uh, hate crime protection or the, uh, the gender the, gender identity right. uh, included in the orientation. You always have to be careful with that word recruiting, you know, um, <laughs> but that's a joke. But um, um, no, there are students who come here, gay and straight students who come to IU because of the services that uh, we provide, because of 
the understanding that this is a gay-friendly camp. I just, again, spoke to some some parents earlier on, and they were just so pleased to see that we were there. I had a mother last year during orientation say, I'm so glad to see this office is here on this campus. She was coming through orientation with her son. And then she went on to say, my son is so homophobic, I hope he learned something while he was here. (laughs) And then I said, well, maybe I'll have a gay roommate. And she said, that would be good. (laughs) So that, you know, I mean, she was really pleased to see that there's something maybe your son could learn here. That was a nice surprise. Yeah, that's a neat story. It's a great story. I want to come back to that. And also, Matt, you've been... uh uh, quiet for quite a while. I want to come back to you and talk a little bit about what your group does and sort of the larger issues that you're uh, dealing with politically uh, and legally uh, that affect the state and uh, obviously the campus uh, as well. But we do have a phone caller. Let's go to Jody. Yeah, I was just curious if uh, Ms. DeSantis could speak a little bit on um, the Alumni Association. It seems like maybe that benefits the office, but what else does it do? Certainly, I'd be happy to. Um, Our mission as an affiliate group of the Alumni Association is obviously to connect people back to IU. Um, But we also have a larger mission to improve the lives of GLBT students, faculty, staff, and alumni of Indiana University on all of its campuses. Um, So uh, we uh, host uh, social uh, events to keep people connected, um, but we also uh, offer some really valuable programs. We Two years ago, launched uh, competitive academic scholarships open to students on all, all of IU's campuses. Um, but what we're more proud of, we also launched that same year emergency scholarships that uh, currently right now are, are restricted to students at IU Bloomington. And those emergency scholarships were created um, to help support those students who come out to their families and lose the emotional and financial support, quite frankly, of their families after they disclose either their sexual orientation or their gender identity and who might have to face dropping out of IU and and derailing their education um, because of that difficulty. Um, Our alumni association now offers emergency scholarships. Students who do face that loss of financial um, assistance from their families can turn to us and we are able to provide some assistance to help them stay in school. Uh, This is in conjunction with Doug Botter and his office, uh, making sure that they know of all of the tools that are out there for them. Make referrals. Most definitely. Wow. That's a great idea, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it was born of necessity. It was, mm-hmm. and in the within the first two years, I believe we had five um, uh, takers takers yeah. of those scholarships, and that seems like a really high number to me. But um, that's just the sad fact of where we are. I think still in the country and in the world, of uh, not everyone's as accepting as you hope them to be. And these emergency scholarships are sort of one-time things? They are actually uh, two-time things. Uh, You can get them one semester, and they are renewable for a second semester once you've already been approved. Now, we're going to, I'm sure, as we always do with this program, have a slew of phone numbers and website addresses and that sort of thing. But let's just pause for a moment and ask, if somebody were in need of either of those scholarships, uh, how would they go about finding those? One of the ways would be to go into Doug's office uh, and to talk with Doug and Carol and the staff there. Um, The other way, we do have uh, our materials, our applications for these scholarships available on our website, www.indiana.edu backslash tilde, G-L-B-T-A-A. Or you can find that, again, we are linked to uh, Doug's, uh, the GLBT office's uh, website as well. Okay. Thanks and, very much. and Doug, where is your office physically located on campus? Seven hundred five East Seventh Street. Okay. Phone number eight five five forty two fifty two. It's basically right across, just a little cattywampus from the union, right? We like to think the union's across the street from us. <laughs> 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 However, you view that, <laughs> Matt. Let's turn to you, and, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, your work for the uh, human rights campaign. What are the issues that uh, that that group and you, uh, as a representative, are working on right now? Well, uh, our top two legislative priorities right now are currently the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Act Mm -hmm. uh, that is working its way through the U.S. Senate right now. Actually was just uh, attached to the Department of Defense Appropriations Bill that's currently in the Senate right now uh, just uh, a couple days ago. Um, And then uh, after the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Act, we are also currently working on the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, House Resolution 2015, uh, which has been introduced into the House of Representatives uh, actually just a couple months ago and is expecting a vote probably sometime in September or before that, but we don't know for sure. Um, I can go on to describe those two pieces of legislation in brief if you would like yeah, I'd like to. to hear what the uh, housing discrimination or employment and housing discrimination uh, involves 
I'm sorry, employment discrimination. Uh, yeah, uh, very basically, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act would add sexual orientation and gender identity to our civil rights um, um, legislation right now. Currently, it is legal to fire someone be- just because they're gay in over 33 states. Uh, and is Indiana is one of those states. Yeah. Yes, including Indiana, unfortunately. Well, also, is that part of being an at-will employment state, though? Uh, no, it's just you can fire someone just because they're gay in 33 states. Okay. So that's uh, – Which many people don't know. Yeah, exactly. And that, I, I saw you act kind of surprised there. Um, and it's legal to fire someone because of being transgender in 44 states. Uh, so it – and Indiana is, of course, one of those. And also to know Indiana is one of the four states that have no hate crime legislation at all. So um, – Yes, unfortunately, we are lacking in a, a lot of those areas. That's what makes Bloomington such a great area and more specifically Indiana University a leader in you know, offering these protections to their students. Unfortunately, that does not you know, go throughout the state as well. But um, uh, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act would uh, add sexual orientation and gender identity. It would make it illegal to fire, refuse to uh, fire. Uh, re- refuse to hire uh, – uh, promote or, you know, based on, you know, just because of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the overwhelming amount of Americans are in support of this act just because, I mean, overwhelmingly people think that, you know, everyone should be giving the fair shake, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of employment. We should be uh, judged as far as employment on what we are able to provide to the employer, what we are able to bring to the workforce, our talents and skills. Not because of who we love. Uh, you know, that's just should not be a factor in our employment. Everyone should be provided the same opportunity to be able to provide for their loved ones. And how do we do that? Employment, you know. Uh, and everyone should be given that same opportunity without the fear of bias or discrimination. What are the, what's your forecast for the chances for those two pieces of legislation? I think they're very good. Um, the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Act already passed the House of Representatives by a uh, House of Representatives by a pretty good margin, and the Senate is expected to vote on the bill here shortly, uh, probably sometime this week or early part of next week. Uh, now, whether or not the president will veto the legislation is a totally different matter. That's kind of partially why we added it on to the defense, uh, the Department of Defense Appropriations Bill, because without line item veto. You know, you have to either, you know, approve the whole bill or veto the whole bill. You just can't mm-hmm. pick and choose which parts of the bill you want. So, I mean, that's, you know. Mm-hmm. So we will see how that unravels over the next week. Do you see how or do you have a sense of how Indiana's delegation is going to go on that? Uh, we met with Congressman Hill uh, last Tuesday, uh, July the 3rd. He came out in support of employment non-discrimination. Uh, so we were very pleased to hear that. Uh, as far as the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Act, U.S. Senator Evan Bayh is a co-sponsor. So we have him on board. I actually just met with staff from U.S. Uh, Senator Luger and Evan Bayh's office yesterday in Jeffersonville. And it was a very good meeting. Everything went very well. Um, you know, of course, I thanked Evan Bayh's staffer for being a co-sponsor of the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Act and just um, Richard Luger's staff are just for being so supportive. But, um, you know, we do not know where Richard Luger will vote on the Matthew Shepard Hate Crimes Act. And employment non-discrimination has not been introduced to the Senate yet, which will be soon. But um, so... Um, You're just going to have to wait and yeah, handicap just, it, as it, as it as it unfolds. Exactly. Here in uh, Indiana, of course, the big issue that was threatening all of Western civilization two years ago <laughs> was the... Uh, same-sex marriage amendment, uh, which uh, uh, Pat Bauer uh, kept off the floor for a while, caught a lot of flack for that. Uh, then with the Republican majority, it got uh, got a hearing and, and uh, uh, was it 2005 that it, it passed uh, one chamber? Possibly. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember now. Uh, but then last year, uh, it wasn't a starter or I should say last session, it wasn't a, a starter. What, what's the forecast for that? And I don't know if any of you want to talk that. We should talk to the political science uh, graduate, I think. What are the, what's the forecast for that as an issue? I mean, I would venture to say that it's still 
going to be an issue uh, once uh, the Indiana General Assembly starts back up. It's going to be an issue. I, I would imagine it's going to start back up. I mean, um, the supporters of that amendment are definitely not going to give up, unfortunately. So um, I, I would imagine it's still going to be an issue and it's still going to get brought up. Um, now, let's just hope it just stays in committee and it dies in committee like it did, you know, not too long ago. Um, because this next year is fairly critical, isn't it? I mean, it's if very, it goes through this critical. year the same form, it's yeah. before the people at that point, right? Exactly. If, if it passes this year through the House and the Senate, uh, if it gets on the ballot, uh, our forecast is very grim. But uh, so, I mean, that's why it's important that we keep it in committee or at least just on the floor uh, and it does not get out onto the ballot. Um, but all the businesses that we had come out against the amendment was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we will have them on board. Including Cummins and Lilly. Cummings, mm-hmm. Eli Lilly. The university. Uh, university. We just had a great amount of support, uh, you know. How do you support somebody like Terry Austin, who really put her career to some extent on the line and and voted in in favor for you? What kind of interaction do you have with those folks? Are you actively lobbying, um, trying to get sway people's opinions on this, and then support them afterwards? Because you know this is going to be an awkward position for her to have taken as she faces re-election. Yeah, especially within the state of Indiana. We obviously uh, we obviously agree that our state reps who uh, actually take a strong stance against this amendment and other issues, we obviously support them. In 2006, we actually helped uh, six candidates um, in their races that were very supportive. And uh, the HRC and Indiana Equality uh, helped quite a bit by providing people to do canvassing, uh, quite a lot of funding for their campaigns as well, and just overall, you know, a lot of support to their campaigns to make sure that they were supported for the work they were doing because they cannot do this alone. They need help. I mean, they like you said, they cannot stick their neck out on the line and not receive some kind of funding or support for that. I mean, you know, so we helped them out tremendously, and in 2006, we took back the state house. I mean, so, I mean, and those six candidates won. So it was really, really good to see, you know, that all, all of that come together, you know, the overwhelming support and the funding and just, just as far as the volunteers that helped out on their campaign, it really made a huge difference. Yeah. I want to make a quick tie into some things that we spoke about at the very early. I think Matt's a wonderful example of how things have changed. Students who 10 years ago uh, were hesitant to even come in the office are now coming to us and saying, we want to make this world a better place. And Matt's just a shining example to me of the kind of people who are looking for ways uh, to advocate for uh, justice. And um, and there's not a huge increase in activism at this point in time as we saw in the 60s, for instance. But um, Matt's an example of, I think, a generation of students who are seeing a need for change and doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Can I just ask quickly, we've only got about five minutes or so. Uh, and there are a couple of things I definitely want to get to before we're done with this hour. But let me just ask you on a personal note, after you finish your internship, what happens? Do you know what you're doing? Well, I think I will stay on with the Human Rights Campaign, uh, moving to Washington, D.C. most likely. Uh, probably beginning of August or mid-August, I'll be moving to South Bend most likely. I have not told you yet. But, uh, <laughs> uh, to They'd be a fool not to hire him. He's one of the best. Uh, to uh, kind of build up support in the South Bend area for the Employment Non-Discrimination Act uh, surrounding Congressman Donnelly. So, um, I mean, he's one of our uh, he's one of our congressmen here in Indiana that um, voted against the hate crimes bill, but is still uh, rather progressive. So, we just um, need to make sure that he has the support there. Uh, in order to vote positively on the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. It's nice to know that you've gotten a taste of uh, politics and seen what happens and you're still willing to go back to it. So kudos to you for that. (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, How are we doing on emails? Let me ask quickly. We're caught up. Uh, No, wait. I take it all back. We're not. Here we go. Uh, Does your group do any community outreach beyond the campus? My partner works for a large international company that still has a small presence in Bloomington. Uh, though this company offers domestic partner benefits in other states, they have refused our request to extend that coverage to us. They say that since we have no legal standing in Indiana, the company does not have to give us anything. Hardly seems fair and supportive to us. 
And that just highlights the importance of yet again, you know, passing the Employment Non-Discrimination Act and other pieces of legislation. I mean, it's uh, the Fortune 500 companies get the message. You know, it is good to provide partner benefits and you know all these types of things. Um, but yes, um, individual states are still lagging far. Uh, behind in in this category. So uh, that's why it's important to make sure you write your congressman, call them, do whatever you can, get involved uh, uh, to make sure that the Employment Non-Discrimination Act is passed. About the best the office can do in a a situation like this is to try and do some networking and we do our best in that case. I mean, we're really here for students and – but to the extent that we can – um, find resources in other places. We'll spend some time doing that. We have a, mm-hmm. I have a wonderful colleague who does that all the time. Okay. We have two minutes left. Erica, tell us about the Alumni Association 10th anniversary. What's coming up? I would love to. On Saturday, September 8th, we invite the entire community and beyond to join us for a 10-year anniversary celebration. We are going to kick things off at 5 o'clock at the Neil Marshall Black Cultural Center uh, with a dinner and silent auction, a wonderful way to hear more about our organization and support our activities. But really more important and more excitingly, uh, following the show, we invite the entire community to join us at the IU Auditorium as we present Kate Clinton. Kate Clinton is a national lesbian comedian um, who will be joining us to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. She has a way of unifying our community and speaking not only to to our community but our supporters and and anybody who likes to come out and have a good laugh at ourselves and at the state of political affairs that we see here in the nation and in the world. Um, Tickets are on sale right now through IU Auditorium um, as well as through Ticketmaster. They are $35 per person, $20 if you are an IUB student and purchase through the IU Auditorium. And if you'd also like to support our uh, dinner, you can purchase tickets through the IU uh, Alumni Association for $35. And if you also want to pick up tickets to the show uh, through the Alumni Association, we'll make sure you get uh, preferential seating uh, right in the first few rows of the auditorium. So it's a wonderful way to support our organization. Come out and have a great time uh, uh, and really just enjoy, again, the great campus climate that we have here at IU. Are there any sponsorship opportunities within the event? There most certainly are. Union Board is a very generous sponsor of ours. That's why uh, student ticket prices for IUB students uh, can be more uh, at a lower rate, uh, and we are accepting additional sponsors. Uh, anybody wants to, please just give me a call. We welcome sponsorship from WFIU. Okay. Right. <laughs> we, we have no time left, but very quickly, we wanted to mention the uh, conference coming up in 2009. Without going into any detail, how do people find out about that? Is there any place they can go at this point? Just contact the office, okay. um, 855-4252 or our webpage, um, which I've forgotten at the moment. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they can find you. They can find it, yeah. All right. To our three guests, Erica DeSantis, Matt Bruner, and Doug Bowder, thank you very much. To Mary Catherine, thank you as well. My pleasure, Well. To our producer, Aliyah Mood, and uh, engineer Mike Pashkash, thank you. And Junior uh, engineer, Dylan Peterson. I, I didn't want to... <laughs> Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Uh, And for the Vacationing Bob Salzberg, I'm Will Murphy. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.